we're diving into a, a very serious chapter and the next four, five, six, the next four chapters are going to be serious chapters. Uh, it'll be some soul searching. Some, there's some challenges that you're going to be facing and uh, everybody here is, is at a different place in your walk. I'm not going to presume, pres- presume or uh, categorize anybody where your walk is. Some of you are a little further along than others, and I, I understand that. We're all at different levels of maturity. Some of us need to lock arms with brothers. Some of us need to come under fathers. Uh, and uh, we need to all be encouraged and spurred on in the faith. But this chapter is called Becoming a True Disciple. And I just want to let you know that becoming will be until you go to see Jesus. That will not end. That will never stop. We're all becoming a true disciple. We're all wanting to become more like Christ. So we're going to dive into this chapter. I want you to pray for me that God would allow me to speak what needs to be spoken and uh, we would hit the highlights and I would get you out of here in a, in a timely matter. This is a long chapter. If I skip some spots and areas, hopefully you've, you've read through the material. You know what's there. Uh, you've got opportunity to dig through it even after tonight. I'm going to try to follow the Holy Spirit and hit what I, what I need to hit. Um, I want to read our key chapter here out of 1 John 2 and 6. It says this, Whoever claims to live in Him, who's Him? Jesus. Must walk as Jesus did. How's your walk going, guys? How's it going? How you doing? Uh, we're... Like I said, we're on that journey. We're on that walk. Now, this, this scripture here, 1 John 2 and 6, it says, whoever claims to live in Him, if we claim to belong to Christ, and we claim to live in Him, be in Him, then there is an expectation that we must walk like Jesus did. Now, this is not an impossible thing, guys. It's not. If this was a commandment of the Word of God, if he's, if he's asked this of us, then it must be something that must be attainable. But how we obtain this walk and this becoming like Christ is determined by certain key factors. But it is possible. But to realize it is a progressive journey, as we spoke uh, earlier and as Tom, Pastor Tommy has been preaching messages on justification, sanctification, Justification is what we do when we first come to Christ. It's what Jesus did for us. Sanctification is what we, uh, uh, as we die to self, we surrender, we get God's word in our hearts, we lay aside things that may encumber us. Because we love him so much, we're choosing to be sanctified, set apart for God and for his work. But it is possible. If he says you can do it, then you can do it. Now, He didn't say sometimes. He didn't say if you feel like it. He said we must walk as Jesus did. Listen, guys, we're living in a dark day. We're living in spiritual warfare. The reason why we are doing soul searching, the reason why we're digging deep into God's Word is not to become religious fanatics with knowledge that is useless. We're trying to gain understanding of God's Word so it can benefit us to become free, to be whole, to be healthy, 
for one reason, so that we can be available to God and to serve His kingdom. Amen? Who wants to hear to be used of God? Raise your hand. You have a call on your life. Last chapter we talked about uh, a call, a choosing. We're all chosen here. A calling. We're all called here. But the determining factor is, is not that we're chosen, not that we're called, but who is going to answer that call and be willing to lay down whatever it takes to pursue Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul, and spirit. Now we're going to be touching on some uh, scriptures here. You should have filled them out. We're going to be talking about good fruit versus bad fruit. We're going to be talking about what it means to walk in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. We're going to talk about what does it mean to love God or do we still love things of this world that are distracting us and robbing us of our focus that we become useless to God, we become uh, 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 paralyzed, so to say, and, uh, and we are caught up into the, to, 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 to this and that and all the world has to offer and we become useless to God and His kingdom. Now, uh, Pastor Ronnie's got a saying that I found out from Pastor Tommy that I've been saying for years, and, and it's this. It's either you're a liability or you're an asset to the kingdom of God. Now, when I, when I get to heaven, I mean, that, what I mean by that, those are, there's those that are takers and givers, okay? And this is the question. In this group right here, you're either going to be a taker or a giver. It's going to be to the degree that you're willing to lay your life down, to lay aside every weight that encumbers you, every sin that hinders you, and to pursue God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Now, I want to say this. There have been many men of God that start off strong, they climb the peak of their life and their ministry only to crash and burn. You've seen them on TV. And the reason why they crashed and burn is this very reason. Because they didn't take time to inspect, to inspect the fruit in their life. They didn't take time to fully sanctify themselves unto God. So they got busy. They got excited about their walk with God. They took off running with passion, but they lacked knowledge. They lacked understanding. They lacked spiritual fathers. Uh, they didn't have someone maybe come alongside them. And look, there's been some giants that have come through the years. I'm going to name some names not to speak ill of them, but you'll know who they are. Jimmy Swagger took a big crash and burn, did he not, some years ago? And uh, there's big names and there's no names that you probably know of people and pastors. And this, this should break our hearts. Uh, we don't point fingers at people who have failure for the purpose of saying, oh, I'm better than you. And if, if, if I was you, I would have done this. No, we should never glory and, and revel in the failure and the fault and the shortcomings of others. We should be saddened. We should be brokenhearted. We should be quick to restore. We shouldn't be so quick to judge, but we should be quick. The Bible tells us that if we come alongside of a brother to restore, we have to be careful ourselves because you come alongside a brother that's struggling and you become judgmental. Look, I've done this. Uh, I've had conversations with my wife at times and I've said, oh, such and such marriage is not doing too well. And yeah, I know. Aren't you glad that, you know, and we start, begin to, Get puffed out. Now, we think we're being thankful to God, but be careful with your words. 
We'll start saying, well, I'm glad that isn't me. And before you know it, the next day or within two hours, we had the biggest fight of our life. So we've got to be careful. We're not judging people. We're loving people. Lest the enemy come and destroy your life. Look, there's been many greats. Jim Baker crashed and burned. He's back in the ministry. I believe if you crash and burn, you can be restored. You can be restored back in the ministry. And there are certain criteria there, what, what, how that looks like. Uh, we all heard of, of Ted Haggard. He, he was the, the, uh, the uh, uh, head of an evangelical uh, organization. Big, big, big church in Colorado. We all maybe heard the story. We didn't hear the story, but it came out on the news. And what a shame. What a, uh, what a shame that, that the world has to witness this sort of failure. We all know of the, the, the revival that hit down in Florida with Todd Bentley. Everyone got on that bandwagon, and, and he crashed and burned. What, look, the reason why we have to do fruit inspection is because if you're truly called and God has a plan for your life and there's something for you to do in the kingdom, you don't want to take off running and starting off strong only to get to the peak of your ministry and the enemy has inroads into your life. He's found a doorway by which he can come in Things might be going good, going great. Everyone's looking at you because you're in ministry and you're doing great things for God. But little did everyone know, in your closet back here somewhere, there was something you were hiding. Something that had been plaguing you for years, but nobody knew about it. You may have been ashamed to talk about it. You may have been prideful and thinking, I can handle this. I can talk in tongues for an hour. If I read my Bible more, somehow... It's not going to flare up and you work your hardest to express these things. We're talking about bad fruit. We're talking about those things that have creeped in your life, could have come into your life from a very young age. And this is what, why we're trying to get these things out, out of your life. It's not to point fingers at you and tell you I'm better than you are and do it like I do because I got it right. It's not a religious approach here. It's guys, we've got to, if you, listen, if you don't take the time to do fruit inspection in your life now, then somebody else is going to have to do it later. Let me tell you right now, you much, much rather get it right between you and God before He has to expose you in public. Because He will do whatever He has to do to discipline you to get you at a place where He can use you. Okay? So keep that in mind. You're either going to cooperate with God, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, or Daddy's going to have to come, and he's going to spank, he's going to have to bring discipline, it's going to hurt. That was our last key scripture, last chapter, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. But yet, the purpose of that discipline is to bring forth a harvest of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. Right. What's righteousness? Right living. That's what we want in our lives, right living. It's not only for you, but it's for the good of everyone else. So let's keep going on here. Listen, I believe this is the key right here to the beginning of us becoming like Christ. It's this right here. As we continue this journey of becoming a disciple, it is wisdom to have our total dependence in Christ. Say total dependence. In Christ. Not you. Matthew 5.3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
Now listen, I love this passage of scriptures. It's one of the first Beatitudes. And what this poor in spirit means, it simply means this. Blessed are those who understand their desperate need for God. That is the first key to becoming a true disciple. That is the first key to becoming like Christ is knowing you're desperate, you're needy, you're poor, and you're wretched without Him. Okay? But there's a key. There's good news, guys. There's a way we can walk this walk as Jesus did. So let's keep going. First John. Look at this. I love this passage. Uh, John 15, 1 through 8. It says, Christ called Himself the vine... The church, the branches, and his father, the gardener. John 15, 5 states, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Who are we? If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Disciples cannot produce fruit simply through their own efforts. Jesus, the vine, supplies nutrients, the word. To the branches, that's us, so that we can bear fruit, good fruit. Father prunes the branches. Right now we're in a process of pruning. You may still be in a process of pruning. For years to come, he's going to prune. Let me tell you something. God will get you to a point of productivity in your life. And you're producing. You're producing fruit. You're producing good fruit. But God is a shrewd businessman. He wants more. You say, well, that isn't fair. I'm giving this. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. But now all of a sudden I've come to a point God wants more. He wants fruit. Now, if you're a true disciple, you're not going to argue with God. Because this more fruit is really God giving you an opportunity to share in some of His glory. When we're used of God, not that we're taking His glory, but as we're used as instruments by God, we have the privilege to work with God to do the work of the kingdom. And what a great privilege it is. We may think there's times in our lives where we'll do so much and we'll think, oh, isn't this great? You're just coasting along, you're comfortable. Let me tell you something. The moment you get comfortable and you think, oh, this is as far as I can go, God will say, no, there's more. I can use you even more. When you look at the life of David... He was a shepherd, and how he tended to the flock, nobody knew who he was. But God was preparing him to do more. God was preparing him because he saw David's beginning from his end. God sees your beginning from the end. And he says, I can take this guy and do incredible things. Look, he's, he's out here tending the flock, but he understands how to worship he, he understands how to seek my face. He's singing songs to me. He's tending to, to the flock. He's, cared, he's killed a few bears and lions. But he says, I can use him to kill giants. Can you believe that? Furthermore, not only kill giants, but he says, I can make this guy king over a people. There's always a progression in our lives where God gives us promotions and we increase, it gives you more authority, more influence. And uh, it doesn't matter where you're at in your life, it works that way. God will always ask of you more. And it's this pruning. So what you need to look at is this pruning that says that the Father does, pruning equals discipline. 
okay? As he's pruning and cutting, God's going to cause you and call you to be more disciplined so you can be in a position where he can use you more and more. Is that good or what? Who wants to be used here? Now, if you raise your hand and you say yes, then you better be prepared to be pruned. You better be prepared for God to bring discipline into your life because he's got a plan. We may not see it. We may not understand it. It may be painful. It hurts. We're growing. We're being stretched. But if we're going to be a true disciple and truly become like Christ and fully be available, if you say, God, here's my life, then you're not going to argue with God when he tells you to do something that's not comfortable, that takes you out of your comfort zone. This is what it means to be a true disciple. This PowerPoint says here, apart from Christ, everyone say it with me. Apart from Christ, we can do... Guys, nothing means nothing. You may have abilities. You may have talents. You may have gifts. You may be very smart. But if God don't breathe on it with His anointing... I talked to some of the musicians this morning, and I said, I shared some things God had put on my heart. I said, guys, we need to be ever praying for an unction to function. Whatever your function is and what God's called you, we need His unction. What is that unction? We need His anointing. We need His power. I'm telling you, I don't care how gifted you are. Some of you may enjoy my mandolin playing up there, okay, just today. I don't think I'm that great of a mandolin player. I really don't. But I had so many people come up and say, man, I enjoyed the way that mandolin sounded. And, 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 and I found a key. That I'll take the compliment, but I, I lean on the side that, that if you really were enjoying it that much, and I know it wasn't that great, that it might just have been the anointing. It might have just been that God, Jesus, was enjoying it. And because he enjoyed it, we just enjoy him enjoying us. That's how it works. If the worship serpent is really, really good, it's because he showed up and he likes it. And if he really likes it, then we're going to like it because he showed up and we get to benefit from his glory being spilled out upon his people. He says, God said it this way. He said, I inhabit. He comes and inhabits the praise of his people. So, let's keep going here. So good, good so far? Now listen to this. Disciples are identified by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy. Peace. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we want in our lives. This is what we want growing on our tree. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I love this one right here. Self-control. I'm always praying for that one, guys. I can get some things right, but man, you can never have enough of self-control. Self-control. This uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Jesus commanded his followers to bear fruit. Jesus commanded his followers bear fruit. The kind that would cause, listen to this, unbelievers to believe. The world watches the church, they're watching us, to see if they practice what they preach. What the world looks for in a believer's life is good fruit, consistency in attitudes, actions, and relationships. Look at this challenge right here. The world is watching you. What do they see? What's growing on your tree? Are you giving them 
a reason to want what you got? This is the reality. The world is watching. Who's the world? It could be your wife. Your wife's watching. Does she see Christ in you? Is she seeing this fruit? Patience, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness. Look, we could stay there a long time, but I'm not going to stay there. Is your children? This is the world. What's your children seeing? What are they seeing growing on your tree? Is it so good that they just can't help to ask you how in the world are you living this way? What's this, your secret? Come on. This, this cuts, but this is where we're at. Uh, what is your co-worker seeing? You're working with guys? You're working with people? Are they seeing anger fly up? Attitudes? Fits of rage and anger? Coarse joking? These are all some of the things we're going to dive into. If you've done your soul searches and your homework, this is the scripture. This is the mirror of the word to show us where we're at. We're doing fruit inspection. Guys, why? Because we want to be available that God can use us. We want to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Let's keep going on here. Listen. Listen what John 2.15 says. John reveals, reveals this. He says, John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, if anyone loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in him. The world that is stated in this scripture refers to the realm that which is controlled by Satan and organized against God. Now listen to this. Satan is our enemy. There are two kingdoms, and you know this, you've heard it. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light. The reality is, is that the world is going to offer you choices. You're going to be enticed by your flesh to either serve one master or the other. There's a constant tug of war that goes on in this world, especially America where we have so many indulgences that the flesh are lured into. So many things we, the catches the eye and, and, and appeals to our desires and our need and our wants. And it's harder, listen, it's harder to live this walk out, trust me, in America than it is to go into a country, a third world country like India, Panama, Africa, where they got nothing. These are people that are needy people that know they need God. Let me tell you, they're living way more of this right here than we could ever live. And if you haven't gone on a mission trip and you haven't been humbled by the humility of these people, Giving their all. It's not a, it's not a part-time deal here, being a Christian to them. They are full-on disciples of Jesus Christ. They're sold out. They would die for their faith. They're not thinking about the next new car they're going to get or how big their house is or where they're going to eat after church on Sunday. They're just thankful they got some food to even go in their bellies. But yet, they don't grumble and complain. They're serving God. How many things we have to fight in this world that we have to die to? We don't have to literally die a physical death, but God is calling us to die to those things that appeal to the flesh, that pull out our love and our affection 
from God to be on the things of the world. This is our battle. This is our battle. So let's keep going. Cuts like a knife, don't it, guys? Look, I'm preaching to myself. I've had to live this. The last five years, I've sold everything I got. I mean everything. Left family. And I'm not trying to pat myself back. I'm just telling you, when you teach something, you better watch out because God will make you live it. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. I've had to live this. I'm not saying God's telling you to do what I've done. But he's always requiring more. And laying down in your life. And let me tell you, there's no greater joy than to be in the will of God and his perfect will and allow God to use you. Let's keep going right here. Look at this soul search. Why are the soul searches here? So you can search your soul. You can allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light. Nobody's going to make you do anything, guys. Nobody's going to be looking over your shoulder to see what you're writing down. It's, this is between you and God. Some of you may think you got it all together and everything's cool, but six from, months from now, your whole world may be upside down. Two months from now, one week, two days. Like I said, you either deal with your stuff now or some. It'll come out. Let's look at the soul search. What is tempting or hindering your love for God? Now listen to this. Internet is a cesspool of filth as much as it is a great source of knowledge and understanding. The enemy, two kingdoms at work on the internet, are they not? There are two kingdoms at work. You've got to choose what you see, what you watch, what you look at, what you expose yourself. Are you going to feed the flesh? Are you going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, self-control? Are you going to give in to the lust of the flesh? Girlfriend, boyfriend scenarios. Some of you are married. You don't have to worry about this. But you know what it's like that you, could, you know people have come to church that are sold out to God. You know guys that were sold out to God. And a girlfriend comes on, a little hottie comes along. And before you know it, he's forgetting all about church. Distractions, friends. Social, there's so many things that can pull on our love and hindering our love for God. Family. You can be so caught up in family, it can be an idol in your life. People, uh, the world can get consumed with music, games. How many guys these days are just consumed with gaming? You think they're going to be used of God in the ministry? They're out here playing who knows what. This is an issue. When I came from Australia... The pastor literally addressed this issue in front of the whole church. And he called, the, he called the young men forward and he challenged them. He challenged them to stop being bands. And his definition of a band, a band is someone who's caught between boyhood and manhood. So they're still a, a band instead of a man, they're a band. And there was guys in the church that were just always consumed in the games. Sports. Listen to this, guys. <laughs> now listen. There's nothing wrong with some of these things until it becomes an idol in your life. It becomes a distraction. Or your identity may be caught up in these things. 
It's not to be a disciple. It's in wearing orange. Listen, I know that's the culture here. But are we as proudly displaying our love for the Lord, our stand for Christ, as we are every week cheering for the Vols? It should, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the team. But these are things that can pull out our love, can distract us. We have to be careful. Movies are such a source. They're such filth, good movies and filthy movies. Guys, you know, I know, there's a great movie out right now. It's on the top of the charts. And God's using it powerfully. You all know what it is, right? The War Room. Isn't that fantastic how God can use movies? And it's one of the number, it's one of the top rating movies right now. Godly, if you hadn't seen the movie, God, listen, I cried. Now you said, Barry, how did you do that? I mean, I was overcome with emotion. I mean, it was touching. I'm not playing games here. But it was a powerful movie. Look. Your ministry can be a distraction. You can be so caught up in titles, positions, that it's pulling your love. You love your ministry more than you love God. You love your position more than you love God. You love your instrument, getting up there and playing, and oh, this feels good, more than you love God, and it can be pulling on your love. All these things, school, church activities, philosophy, politics, we're living, right now we got Politics going on, it's heated up. Who's going to be the next president? All these things are not evil and wrong in themselves, but if they become an idol, they distract you, they pull from your love, your attention, your focus, keeps you from doing what God's called you, it's a problem. And it can be a problem. I'm mentioning all these things, and I can tell you through my life at the age of 51, a lot of these things have been issues in my life that I've had to repent, get my priorities straight, so I can get back on the right track God to use me. Is this true or what? Am I talking to stones here? I mean, I'd like to have get a few amens and a hallelujahs, like an attaboy, like maybe run up, run up here, give me a high five or something. Guys, we're talking about not allowing these things to keep us from what God... Now, obviously, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want more of God. But I'm telling you right now, all of you are going to be able to relate some way or another to what I'm saying. Living by the flesh, okay? What are we talking about? Living by the flesh. We're going to talk about it just a little bit. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting what one has done comes not from the Father, but from the world. I'm not going to go into rest, the rest of this. Hang on. Worldliness is not... Worldliness begins... However, worldliness begins eternally. You know, back a long time ago, I've been raised in the Church of God all my life. And back 20-plus years ago, there was a real emphasis on externals. You had to have short hair. Look, I had relatives. I grew my hair over my... my ears just a little bit and, I, and it got back in the 80s I had a mullet okay and uh, I was going to hell look I went to church I loved God filled with the Holy Spirit but because I had my hair was not where was satisfactory to them I'm not kidding you I was going to hell I was hell bound there was emphasis listen I got right listen 
I got raised in Australia that was a very secular country. And, and I, I don't say this ill of my parents, but it's just what they knew. I wasn't allowed to wear shorts, even. When I went swimming with the kids in a secular school, listen to this, in a secular school in Australia where swimming is, is a big deal, it's part of school activities. Like you go there as a school activity. I had to wear a t-shirt to go mix bathing because that was considered to be holy. Now, what kid, what 10, 12, 13-year-old, 12-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid, what, who's going to be lusting in a 12-year-old kid's body while I'm out there swimming with a bunch of kids? You see that there's so much focus on the externals, but really what God was looking for was the internal issues of the heart. This is where the, it's as much living by the flesh can be an external thing as what is in the intent of the heart. Now, listen to this. Worldliness begins with eternal attitudes. Attitudes, actions begin in the heart. Just as Jesus explained in Mark 7, 20 through 23. Our hearts are exposed by what is said and done. Look, you will know what a person, who a person is by what's coming out of the mouth slash by what's going on with their actions. That is the fruit that is growing on your tree. It's your attitudes, your actions, your reactions. This is how you know what is in a man, but what comes out of his mouth and what comes through his actions. You know what I'm talking about. Now, PowerPoint here says attitudes and actions spring from the heart. Now, there are three ways primarily that the enemy will tempt you to sin through the living by the flesh. And that is through the lust of the flesh. I can tell you right now, the devil has used that one just about every man on, in this here. Lust of the flesh. And, and the list can go on far beyond what we've got here. You've got bad fruits can be sexual immorality, impurities, gluttonies, lusts of all kinds. This is how the enemy attacks us. This is how the enemy comes at our flesh and attempts us to sin against God. Lusts of the eyes. Lusts of the eyes occur when a follower is consumed with wanting more of this world. They're never content and having, uh, they're never content, always wanting the need for more. Some examples of this bad fruit produced are the lust of the eyes or covetousness. Excessive credit card abuse, stealing, cheating, greed. And I'm telling you, we live in a country that is filled with consumerism, which is a a driving need to have more, more, and more. And what's happening here is there, the world is appealing to the lust of the eye. Never content <clears throat> with what you got. You've got to always have more. Let me tell you something right now, guys. Listen to me. When you stand before God, everything that He has entrusted to you, all your wealth, riches, possessions, your talents, your gifts, 
when you stand before him, you're going to have to give an account. Was you a wise steward with what he gave you? Or was you driven by the lust of the eyes, driven by the need for wanting more? And were your, was your life consumed with pursuing more and more and more of this world? Or was you running hard at God? Listen, let me tell you right now. You can live with a lot less than what you have. Trust me. You think you need that thing? Let me tell you, you won't touch that thing for two years. It'll be in your closet. You need to pray about, is this a problem in your life? Have I got more than what I need? Do I need to get rid of some things? Do I need to, to, for my resources to be more available for the kingdom? Listen, if you knew you only had a year or two years left on this earth and we're getting taken out of here. I mean, Jesus' soul train's coming. Jesus is coming on a train. He's coming He's coming to get us. What's he going to come seeing you do and being involved in? Is it pursuing the things of the world or pursuing the things of heaven? This is the question. You say, Barry, these are hard words. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be sold out to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying everyone in this room is ready for that. Remember last week, the last chapter, where we defined what a Christian is, what is a disciple, and what does it mean to walk in discipline. Some of you may be happy to just be a Christian. Come to church on Sunday, put a few bucks in the plate, feel good about yourself, and know you're going to heaven, and that's it for you. But if you're going to be a disciple, it takes way, it takes everything. It takes it all. Let's keep going here. Boy, it's very somber in here. You guys don't hate me, do you? Come on now. You still love me, right? Say you love me. Come on. Say I love you. you look, I'm not telling you anything that I have, I've been convicted of myself. This goes for me too, guys. Boasting of what one has done, the pride of life. The pride of life causes believers to be assessed with self-promotion, self-exaltation, status, identity, and what they have accomplished how they are perceived. Some of this bad fruit can be pride, arrogance, selfish ambition. It can even be something manifested in doing something good such as ministry and serving. This is, goes back to what I talked to you guys before. The intent and the motive of the heart is everything. Why do you do what you do? Now listen, here's something that, that God gave me a bit of a revelation on when it comes to sin, how the enemy tempts us. And listen to this. The devil tempts you to sin. We're tempted. But the Bible says that man is drawn or tempted to sin because of the lust of the flesh. Now, the devil tempts you to sin. Listen. Every temptation the enemy offers appeals to either a need... Or a desire. Need and desire is not sin unless you try to fulfill them outside of God's will and timing. Now listen to this. This is something God showed me. We all have need. God made us that way. We all have desires. God made us that way. Your needs and desires in and of themselves 
are not sinful. But when the enemy tempts you to get your needs met and your desires fulfilled out of sight of God's will and his timing, it then becomes sin. Now, a prime example of that is, guys, we've got a sex drive. God gave you hormones. He gave you testosterone. We were made that way. But I'm telling you right now, there's only one way that is holy unto God for that need and that desire to be fulfilled, and that's within the boundaries of marriage covenant. When we try to get that need met and those desires fulfilled outside of God's will and timing, it's not the need and desire that's wrong. It's that we've been tempted to fulfill it outside of God's perfect will and His timing. Now, we're out here looking at internet porn and we're getting off on, on nude pictures because we've got to relieve ourselves. You were just tempted to have your need and desire fulfilled outside of God's plan and purpose. If you've been tempted to flirt with women, you want compliments, you may be single looking for that right girl, you've all been there. And as a godly man, as a Christian, there are things that are acceptable and holy and right and things that are not. You can find yourself in compromising situations and before you know it, the enemy has lured you inch by inch and before you know it, you're doing things you never dreamed you could do. Your credibility's down the tube. People are going to find out. You may have a ministry. It's over. For now, it's over. You may have been married. You may have been fooling around with someone else's wife. I don't know. You got need and desire. There's one way to fulfill it. And it's in God's plan, God's purpose, God's timing. This goes for any type of temptation and desire. Look, there's nothing wrong for you to, not, to want to have a nice car. We need transportation. But if, 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 if a $20,000 car will do the trick and you're out here splurging 60 and 70 and 80, maybe you should pray about it. And say, God, do you really want me to spend the extra 40000 on a little extra chrome here or a, a, a name brand? Or maybe I could put this money, invest it into my kids, into the church, into the kingdom. Who knows? Listen, I know this cuts. But the enemy will use anything and everything. Needs and desires are not evil and of themselves. But if you do it outside of God's will, if you don't pray about things before you do it and say, I really want this thing. I really, look, I've done this. I've sinned. I'm that person that's wanted more and more, gotten things I should have never gotten, done things I should have never done, gone in bondage, financial bondage, and put burning on my family, put me in a position where I cannot be useful to the kingdom. I'm that man. Okay? I've had to repent. You say, how can you say this stuff? Because I've done it. And I'm telling you, you don't have to go down this path. Pray about it. Know what God's will is for your life. He wants to meet your needs. He wants your desires to be filled. But I'm telling you, you're not going to be happy unless you do it His way. Are you with me? Every need and desire can be fulfilled through and in God. That is a fact. He said he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Some of you guys have had to wait for the little Miss Wright to come along. And listen, just be glad you did. 
There's so many temptations along this journey. Listen. This is the question. The question is not how much sin are you willing to repent of, but rather how much are you willing to love? Let me tell you right now. When you sin, you got a love issue. When you sin against God and you sin against others and you sin against yourself, it's a love issue. We do things that are, can be shameful. You don't love yourself enough. We do things and it's all about me. And it's always an issue, guys. Sin is always an issue is you've not learned to love as God has commanded you to love. Either when you sin, you're either going to sin against God or you're going to sin against each other or you can sin against yourself. And the process and the journey that we're on is to learn how to love as Jesus loved. Because God is love. Everything Jesus did and he came on this earth to do was the display and the demonstration and the manifestation of the love of God. Even when Jesus met the needs of the multitudes and did miraculous miracles, it wasn't to show that he was God. It wasn't just to show that he was capable of doing miracles and mighty deeds and feed the the five thousands. He was driven and motivated by the love of the Father. Even to the point that the Bible tells us that he was the sinless Lamb of God because he couldn't sin because he was love. He couldn't sin because the essence of who he was was love because love and sin are go work opposites. He, he said this. He said, no greater love than this than a man would have to lay his life down for a friend. What is this laying your life down? It's the dying to self. He could have stayed in heaven, ruled and reigned with the angels, getting all sorts of high praise up there, sitting on the right side of the Father. But he said, no, I've got to come down to earth. The world needs to be redeemed. The sinfulness of man is beyond. The only way to redeem it was the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. He's calling us. If we're going to walk as Jesus did, then there are some things we're going to have to die to. We're going to have to say no to. We're going to have to get out of our lives that is stopping us from loving like Jesus loves, loving like God loves. We've got to get the sin out. Listen. Listen to me right now. You say, well, I'm not doing nothing that bad. I'm doing pretty good. I've done my checklist. Doing that, not doing that, not doing that, I'm not doing that, not doing that. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Did you know that the Bible tells us that it is sin to do to not do something you know you ought to do? It is sin to fail to do what you know is right or what is expected of you. If God's telling you to do something and you're resistant, or there's a choice you got to make and you know 
you can either do this and it will be in your favor, or you can do this and it will cost you something, and you do this because it's in your favor. It's sin. You didn't hurt no one. Nobody made you. There's nothing evil about what you did. But just the failure of doing what is right is sin. It's always, always an issue of love. Bad fruit. You guys should have filled this out. Guys, I'm not going to come look in your books. So did you fill it out? How'd you go with that? How you doing with that one? This is between you and God. You can take this thing seriously or you can just say, well, Barry got a little bit hot, didn't he, today? He got a little bit passionate. You can go home and forget about it. But you take this seriously and say, God, what, what is it in me do I need to die to? What is it? Is there fruit in my life? Listen, is there something in me that's hindering me from being and doing what you call me to do? Is there something I've, I need to look at? If you looked at these scriptures and talked about the battle of fruit, 2 Corinthians, and you went through it, and I did, You'll see stuff like quarreling. Have you ever been caught in arguments, in quarreling over trivial things you shouldn't have been quarreling over? These, this is bad fruit. This is what it says. Jealousies, angers, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality. Hate your brother, which says the Bible tells you it's murder. Idolatry, sorcery. Fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, falsehood, lies, stealing, corrupt talk, grieving the Holy Spirit. Do something, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You know you've grieved the Holy Spirit and you keep doing it, you are in sin. It's because you love yourself more than you love God. Immorality again, adultery. Adultery. Homosexuality, greed, swindlers. Man, we've, we've had some swindlers in the selling snake oil, selling... Oh, there's more swindlers on, on the TV you can shake a st- stick at. People throwing their money at people, promising a tenfold, a hundredfold blessing, send me your seed of faith. Instead of telling them they need to sow it in the local, you got gullible people out there that, that have given in to sweat. The Bible tells us, listen, the Bible tells us that if your brother is in habitual sin and is unrepentant, we've all known who they are. Okay? We've known people in church that are doing things they just shouldn't be doing. They've been asked to repent, people come and they keep doing it. You know what? The Bible tells us you're not even to have a meal with them. You're not to have to do anything, anything with them. You say, that's a bit hard, that's a bit unloving. No, what you're doing is what the Bible says, there are some of those that need to be handed over to Satan for a season so that their soul can be saved. If you keep fellowshipping with these people, you'll keep, you will validate their sin. Some people need to be just cut off and handed over to God and you tell them, look, I love you. But when you get done with your vomit and your mess, come back to me and we'll have a little talk and I'm here to love you and see you restored. Until then, let them go. There's some people you've got to chase, some people you've got to let go. And some of you have been in ministry long enough and know what I'm talking about. You've got to hand them over to the discipline of the Lord. Listen, 
You know what it says here? It says that if this sort of stuff that I just named off, if it's in your life, now we're just getting started here. When we get into chapter 5 and 6 and 7, we're going to keep digging. You may be good. You may be cool. You may say, I checked all that. That ain't me. That's fine. But listen to this. It says, if, you, if you're doing these things, it says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't do these things and inherit the kingdom of God. You can't do it. Don't fool yourself. What are we going after, Barry? We're going after... We're wanting to... to, to, to Stop. We want to turn away from loving the world. We want to not live by the flesh. Be aware. See, I'm just trying to give you some tools to be aware how the enemy can trip you up. There's guys in here have been tripped up. The enemy's hit you with the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, and you, you, you've fallen into trap. And thank God that He is a God of restoration and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. But for the grace, God, and mercy, where would I be? Where would you be? But all I'm trying to do is give you some tools here, guys, that you can use to get victory. To win. To be that man that God's called you to be. And you know what? It's found right here. It's found in loving God. God, if you are a lover of God, you just cannot go wrong. Let me tell you right now. How many in this room love God? Say, I love God. I love God. Say, I love Jesus. I love, Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. Do you? I believe you do. That love is only going to be a reality to the degree that you are walking this thing out in obedience and full and complete surrenderment to the will of God and the plan of God in your life. There's no other way. Don't say you love me. He said, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. I've been there. You know how many times I've had to get on my face and cry out to God because the cares of this world and the love of this world has so made my heart hard towards the things of God where you beg God to feel His presence because you've gotten so far away from Him and you've been disobedient. It's not that you've done nothing things terribly wrong, but you've not done things you should be doing. It's just as bad. It's just as much sin. How many times I've had to get on the floor and just tell God I'm getting off this carpet until you come down and touch me and make my heart soft again? This is what sin does. This is what living by the flesh does. It it makes you hard towards God. It, it makes you not be able to love like you should love. Love God and love people. I've been there. And I, I have to constantly guard my heart. I have to constantly cry out to God. God, keep me soft. God, help me to love you like I should. Help me to love others like I should. And I'm not playing games here. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. I'm there right now. I don't love God as much as I need to. You said, well, Barry, you're up here teaching this stuff, right? I know I am. 
I get convicted too. I'm on this journey just like you are. I'm going the same direction. Hopefully you're going. And that's towards Christ. More like Him. It says here, loving God. God deeply loves mankind. Who's going who's to argue with that? This unconditional love relationship full of grace and mercy with the almighty creator is the heart of Christ's invitation for his disciples. It's never a question, guys, how much God loves you. There's some people come to church services and they're looking for a, 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 someone to give them a word. They're looking for some sort of sign or to see you because people are looking for love. And we all have the need and desire to be loved, but there's a way to get that need and desire fulfilled. The question is never, does God love you? The question is, do we love God? Do we love others? Two greatest commands, when the Sadducee, or it was the Pharisee, came to Christ, they thought they were going to trip him up. And they said, Master, tell us, please, what is the greatest command? And Jesus came back with this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and your, your soul. And he said, secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, everything that the prophets proclaimed and declared and everything that the word is founded on is based upon those two commandments. <clears throat> this life, guys, let me take it. When, you get your, when your, the vapor of your life is finished, you'll find out this one thing. It was all a test and how you did loving God and loving people. You'll be judged on your relationship with Him and your relationship with each other. This is the very essence of why Christ came to redeem mankind is to restore relationship. And it can only be done if we learn how to love as God said to love. Listen to this, this PowerPoint. Say this with me, please. If you are loving God, you will be loving people. You can't do, if you love, you say, oh, I really love God, and your marriage is suffering, or you've got relational conflict going on in your family, you could get together for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and there's people there you can't, you've got relatives there you hate to even get with once a year, and you've got strife going on and unforgiveness, you got conflict. You just can't work it out. You got a love issue. Now, it takes two people to cooperate, to be reconciled, and to get along. And I'm not saying that you can't love God and be doing the best you can to love and be reconciled and get along with people. It takes two people. But a lot of the time, we're fussing and fighting with people and having struggles in our relationships and all we can see is how they've done is wrong and they've got this big problem but if you had the eyes of God you would look within their hearts and you would see that the fruit that is growing on the tree and the reason why they're acting and doing what they're doing is because there are issues that possibly could be in their life that go way back that had to do with other people before you even knew them and we're going to get in that in to some of the chapters coming up, how that works. If you really, really loving God, your heart and the compassion for your heart, you'll not be caught up 
in the traps of the enemy to get caught up in conflict and, and you'll be figuring out how can I act redemptive in this relationship? How can I restore them? How can I see them get healed? They're hurting. You know, there's a saying, hurting people hurt people. Wounded people wound But This is a fact. And we're going to get into that more into some upcoming chapters. Are you with me? Listen to what it says here. It says, close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's keep going here. Guys, we're running out of time. I don't want to hold you any longer than I need to. Listen. Listen to this challenge. Are you with me? The next time you act or react in a relationship, always filter it through love. You say, Barry, it's really hard. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what you've done, and you've been forgiven so much. This is something God, you say, well, Barry, where'd you get that from? That's something God told me to do, okay? Me and my wife, so many times, we've had to remind ourselves of this. You think after being married 31, 32 years that you'd stop fussing over trivial little stupid things that you and if you just do this instead of reacting with bad fruit, anger rage, impatient no self control filter it through love and see how you go you can diffuse it just like that boom if your reaction is one of love patience, kindness, gentleness you will defuse an argument pretty quick. Maybe. I mean, have you ever tried to, to do that and the other person just keeps coming back at you? Like, I'm really God. I'm really doing the best I can here. And oh, oh Lord, oh God. Well, this is why God's called you as the men to be the priest of your home. When it comes to your wife, he says, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What did the church do to Christ? Trump all over him. Be unfaithful. Accused him. Oh God, you ain't met my needs today. Where are you at, God? Don't you love me? And how does Christ respond? He just loves. Grace. He doesn't keep record of wrong. He doesn't keep record every time we fail, fall short. He just loves, forgives. He shows grace and mercy. As the husband... We're dealing with our wives. It may not be your fault, but it, you, it's always your fault. That's how you diffuse it. There's some things you ain't going to work out, guys. Trust me. But this is what we're called to do. Man, what, God, what is God calling you to do? He's calling you to love. <laughs> we're talking about loving God. We're talking about how you do this. You've got to put Jesus on. You've got to clothe yourself with these things. 
You've got to get him in you. You've got to walk in the Spirit. What is this walking in the Spirit? Jesus established the truth that God is Spirit and worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. Walking in the Spirit occurs when a believer wholeheartedly yields to and embraces. Listen to this. This is how you walk in the Spirit. You have to embrace the mind, heart, and actions of Jesus in every aspect of your life. John MacArthur said, said it this way. Worship is all that we are, reacting rightly to all that He is. Look what 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys the word, God's love. Listen, see how the connection between obeying the word and love? He said, if, if, if anyone obeys the word, then God, God's love is truly made complete in him. Go ahead. Where it says, whoever says, I know him, that word know is not a head knowledge. Because it even said, well, even Satan the demons know. That word know is the root word for sexual intimacy. That, that word know, to know God means you, you're not intimate with God if the earmark of your intimacy isn't obedience. So it's not just a knowledge, it's, a, it's an intimate knowing. That's good. The knowing is to become one. We're in the process of becoming more and more one with Jesus. When Jesus left the earth, he had a prayer that he prayed to the Father for the disciples. He said, Father, make them one as we are one. It's that come. See, when we're the body of Christ, we are one. We're in, the, we're in one body, and, and the goal of a church, and we're going to get into this in just a little bit. Man, I'm running out of time, and I know I don't have enough time to do this, so I'll have to probably summarize some of this. But the key to a successful church in doing great things for God is found right here. When you find a church that really, really loves each other, and, the, and their relationships are healthy, Listen to me. And they're quick to restore, quick to forgive, quick to be reconciled, and they practice love in their relationships. Then what happens is there is a strong bond of unity and oneness that takes place. Listen to me. This is the key to the power and the anointing of God being poured out, not only on an individual's life, but corporately upon a church or a body. When you see strife, bickering, people living in the fresh and carnality of all kinds going on in a church, you'll not have unity. You'll not have oneness. You'll be connected with sinful people. Let me tell you something right now. Do not think that your sin does not affect who you are connected to. It does. If you're connected to a body, and there's sin going on in that church, and that sin is not addressed biblically. In love, grace and mercy, yes, but it needs to be addressed. 
if it's swept under the carpet, let's not talk about it. It's too shameful. And you got all this sin. Look, I've been in churches like that. You got all this sin going on under the. You think the power of God's going to be released in that church? It's not. God says, God God's wants you to clean house. Not because he's mad and angry and just disgusted with the whole a lot of you. He can't be disgusted and angry. But he ultimately his heart is, is for his people to be whole and healthy and loving each other. I mean, what father doesn't want their kids to get along and to be loving each other and working together in oneness and in unity? And I'm telling you, if there's love, if your relationships are healthy, and we're going to get into this a little later, <clears throat> and there's a unity there and a oneness. Father, make them one as we are one. This is the key to the kingdom being released. Then there is a, a command. There is a command of a blessing that will come upon a church. God will say, yes, I can send my anointing here. I can give my power. It can be released here because I can trust them. With my glory. Too often God does not send his glory. Listen, listen to me. He said, Man, this sounds bitch. I'm telling you, I've seen this. Too often he will not send his glory because we're not ready for it. We can't handle it. Let me tell you, if a move of God was to show up in this church, if there is underlying sin going on in this body and we're not ready for what God does. It will get messy real quick. Stuff will surface. It's going to happen in this church. Stuff will surface. Look, you're better off letting God discipline you now. Get it out. Deal with it. So God can send His glory. This is what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to send His glory. He's wanting to send His power. And He will work with you. He'll work with the church for a season. Bringing discipline. Preparing your hearts. Because he wants more and more and more. He wants to pour out more of his glory. He wants more fruit. He wants more people to come into his kingdom. You hearing me? I'm telling you, this is the key to revival. When God shows up, it could get messy. Unless we allow him to discipline us now. And when he does show up, we can say, yes, God, I'm ready to be used. I've chosen to die to myself. I'm available. You've got issues worked out. And now you can be that ambassador of reconciliation, working with God and not working against him. Because when he shows up and starts convicting men of sin, and he starts exposing things, and demons start manifesting, you don't want to be you foaming at the mouth on the floor. And people, well, I never knew he had those problems. Let me tell you, it happens. I've seen it. It ain't fun. You don't want to be on that side. You get your stuff dealt with so God can use you. You can be on the other side of that thing. Listen, we're talking about walking in the Spirit. Listen, whatever your mind is focused on, this is how you walk in the Spirit. Listen to me. You say, how do you do this? How do you walk in the Spirit? It goes like this. Whatever your mind is focused on, and what you're obedient to will determine what realm you walk in. If you fill your mind with trash and junk and the things of the world, and you're consumed with everyday life, and, and that's all you feed yourself with, then ultimately what you consume yourself with and ultimately focus to 
Eventually you'll become obedient to and you either can walk in the flesh or you're going to walk in the Spirit. If you fill your life and your heart and your mind upon the things of the Spirit, the things of God, there's a good chance you're going to be walking in the, in the Spirit. But it takes discipline. God ain't going to make you get up and do these things. Remember the last chapter? We practice disciplines not to make us more righteous, but so we have opportunity to connect with the one who is righteous and who can make us righteous. It's that opportunity, that connection through the disciplines, reading the Bible, spending God in time in His presence, godly fellowship, getting together like this. These are disciplines. You guys came here because you disciplined yourself to come here. As a result, hopefully you're receiving good seed. That seed's taking root and it's going to produce good fruit. Are you with me? You got something else to say? I thought you had a look on your face. Maybe that was that look, say, hurry, hurry up, you're running out of time. It was that look. Listen to this PowerPoint. The spirit of truth wars against the lies of the world. This is a fact. The more truth you get in you, there will be warfare that will take place. If there's things in your life that is according to a lie, if you get more God in you, there will be a war. And it's always a battle between truth and lies. What do you believe? is tr- What is the truth? What is the lie? This warfare that goes on within. Good fruit. Listen to this. A disciple, a disciple's love for God is a seed deeply rooted in the heart. As the seed of God's love grows through the knowledge of God, the disciple's identity will grow and mature. As in Isaiah 61 and 3, this is one of my favorite passages, into an oak of Righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. A disciple that is filled with the Spirit will display the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit to the glory and praise of God. Now, that passage in Isaiah 60, uh, 61, I would just read that today before I came up here. I was in the office up there listening to some worship. And it's one of my favorite passages. I'd read it right now if I had more time, but it talks about... It's that area in Luke as well. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. What has He anointed you to do? Let's, let's look at that real quick. Somebody get that passage of Scripture, um, Isaiah 61. This is why we've got to get fruit, in our, the good fruit on, in, on our trees. See, when it says here, listen, when it says... There will be oaks of righteousness for the, display, for the display of His splendor. The splendor of God is the fruit of the Spirit. The splendor of God is His glory. When people talk about, oh, we just want the glory to come. Oh, praise God. We want the glory. Yeah, we want the glory. But in essence, the glory is not just a manifestation of God's Spirit or something supernaturally taking place. When the glory comes, His splendor, it is a representation of His character and His nature and the goodness, all of who God is. This is why when you have a a church service and the presence of God shows up, His glory, you will see as God manifests Himself, He will display His splendor or His character and His nature 
And this is where he gives gifts unto men. This is where people get healed. So for one, if God shows up in his glory, he can't help to do what he is. God is love, right? So for some people that are sitting in that church service, when the glory shows up, some may cry and just feel the love of God. And some may feel the peace of God. Some may be on the ground rolling on the floor and demons coming out of them because they need deliverance, okay? Some may be getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, and, 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 they, and they get the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some may just, some may get up and have joy and love to jump, and some may sit quietly in the peace of God. What's being manifested? The nature and character of God as He shows up and He manifests Himself, He pours Himself out to the people to the point of their need. This is why in a service you can have different moves of His Spirit, different manifestations, and He will pour Himself out and He will meet the need and touch people according to where they're at, what they have need of, according to His nature and character. Does that make sense? So when He says He wants us to grow up as oaks of righteousness, He's wanting us to to carry His presence. He's wanting us to carry His glory. Ultimately, He's wanting His character, His nature, His good fruit to be present and evident in our life so that when we're walking and talking and interacting relationship, we can be that minister or that agent of reconciliation where He gives you gifts, He gives you talents for the purpose of edifying and building up the body. And now we carry that character, we carry His glory, we carry His splendor. And as His good fruit is manifested, His character is manifested. We're gentle, we're kind, we, we have a heart to heal. God may call some of us to deliverance ministry. People who got bondages, He'll give you a special anointing. Lay hands on them, get them set free. Teaching anointings, prophetic anointings, evangelistical anointings. Every time the gifts and the character and the fruit are being manifested through us, it's to bring Him glory. It is His glory. That's His glory. It brings glory to God. But if we've got bad fruit going on in our tree, we've got things that we hang on to, we've got little it will work against the Spirit every single time. That's why we've got to deal with it. Are you with me? What is good fruit? Listen, look at this PowerPoint. Love God plus live by the Spirit equals produce good fruit. If you're loving God, you're going to be living by the Spirit. If you're living by the Spirit, you can't help to produce good fruit. Good fruit, what is it again? Love, kindness, self-control, joy, goodness, forgiveness, peace, faithfulness, grace, patience, gentleness, mercy. Good fruit equals good fruit. Good roots equal good fruit. What you're rooted in will determine what fruit is going to be. And we're going to get into more of that in the next two or three chapters. We're going to talk about seeds, roots, trees, and fruits. Everyone say that with me. Seeds, roots, trees, and fruits. She said, Barry, that's really weird. Look throughout the Bible. Look how Jesus talked. Talk about fruit. Talk about seeds. Talk about trees. I mean, look at the the Garden of Eden, what did they talk about? Trees, talk about fruit. We're going to be talking more about that a little bit later. Listen, the very essence, 
This is what Jesus said. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He didn't say if you speak in tongues. He didn't say you had supernatural gifts. He didn't say because they healed people. It wasn't based on gifts. It wasn't based on talents. It wasn't based on abilities. It wasn't based on the... Well, to love is a supernatural act. Trust me, if you really love like God... I mean, it'll be the hardest thing you'll ever do. Without God, you can't do it. He said, how are you going to know them is their love? You think the world's going to want to come and be in our family if we ain't loving each other? Let me tell you right now, they're looking for love. And they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Why do you think there's got all this stuff going on? I mean, some of you guys know these guys. I mean, we were talking to Jonathan. He had to go do a funeral for a guy that he knew died in a sin. And, I mean, how do you go do a funeral? And you can't say good, something good about the situation. When it's bad, it's bad. Rowdy says the, the, the world needs Jesus. And they're looking for love. Let me tell you, sinners love Jesus. Okay? Sinners love Jesus. You know who the sinners didn't like? Pharisees and Sadducees. It was the religious system of the time, an order at the time, that they acted religious, they acted all holy, but they had no love in their heart. We can get the same way. We can get very religious. We can look like we, we really know God, but let me tell you, you ain't got love, you got nothing. <clears throat> if you do the soul search here, it'll tell you, how we're supposed to be loving one another, loving each other. You'll read through the Bible. It's teaching after teaching, parables after parable, all about relationship. Everyone say relationship. relationship. It's all about relationship. We're going to hear more about it in the upcoming chapter. It's all about relationship. Trust me, guys. It's all about relationship. And... Uh, I already mentioned this already about unity and power. If you read that, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of it. But ultimately, if you have love, look at this PowerPoint. Love in relationships equals unity equals power. If you read this stuff, if you read what we got here, it's powerful stuff. Ultimately, the key to, to having the power of God, not only for our lives personally, but corporately is to get the love of God in operation, loving God, loving others, we get unity going in our body, which I believe God has got us on that path. I believe there is some unity in this church. It's wonderful. And if, and God, if there's not, God's dealing with it. This is why we're doing these sort of Bible studies, to give us opportunity. If the things ain't right, we've got relationships that ain't right, we want to get it right. Who want, here wants to be a hindrance? To the power of God being able to be released upon this church because you just weren't willing to get something right. I don't want to be that person, but every day you could be that person. This is why we got to get it, get it dealt with. We're talking about loving God versus loving the world. We're talking about walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. We're talking about good fruit versus bad fruit. You've got opportunity to deal with it. Why? Because we want to be available. We want God's blessing. 
There's a passage of scripture, uh, and I forget where it's at. It talks about it is it is good that something about there's good to be the unity of the brothers. It's like oil pouring from Aaron's beard. Where, where's that passage at, Jack? It, 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 anyway, it talks. It speaks of unity, and it speaks that it says. It's like oil running from Aaron's beard. He was the, and, and it speaks that when there's unity of the, of the brethren, there, he says he commands his blessing to be upon those people. And it speaks of this unity. It speaks of this love towards brothers. And it speaks of an outpouring of God's spirit that will be a result of that. Um, listen. Okay, go ahead. He knew where it was. Does it go on to say that he commands a... It is like the dew of uh, Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Ooh. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. See there? He commands a blessing. He commands a blessing where he finds that. See how important it is? See, remember what I told you. If, you, if we got sin going on, living by the flesh... It means we've got a love problem. We've got a love issue. The problem is, is we not got love? Listen, let me read this last, person, last, last part right here. The bottom where it says it's your choice. Jesus clearly displayed to his disciples the character of love and of servanthood. Out of a genuine love for others, through his, through his acts of service, the power of God naturally flowed and needs were met. What came first? The power or love? Love came first. What healed people? What performed the miracles? Was it power or love? Love healed. Love performed miracles. In conclusion, if a disciple is to walk in the same power Christ demonstrated... He must be in right relationship to God and others. Listen to me. This is the key. You want that anointing. You want God's power. You want God's blessing. You want God's favor in your life. It's found right here. Meaning, the disciple loves God and loves others. When a disciple is walking in love, his relationships, listen, will be healthy. And when the fruit of the Spirit are evident, there is unity. And where there is unity, the power of God is available as disciples serve the needs of others. This is the determining, determining indicator of spiritual maturity. It is only found in a disciple's likeness to Christ, which is one of love. The challenge is before us. Will we heed the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 38 through 39? And he who does not take his up take his cross 
and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. If you love God and others by laying down your life, hey, hang on. Will you love God and others by laying down your life so that you can serve the kingdom? It's all about the kingdom, guys. It's your choice. This is a profound scripture. It says, unless you lose your life, you're not going to find it. And if you don't give it up, in essence, if you don't give your life up, you'll never tap in to what God, the life that God has for you. There's a, there is an abundant life that is available. Few of us will tap into that abundant life. We'll settle for less because we're not willing to die. We're not fully willing to lay down our lives. The next chapter we're going to be getting into is called Dying So Others May Live. Dying So Others May Live. Who's all got that chapter in here? You got it? If you don't, you need to get it. Get it from me. Let me get, you need to do this lesson before we come together next week. This is the key. If you learn the art of dying, you will tap in to this abundant life that God says that you can have and you will tap in to what God's will and purpose is for your life and you will be an asset to the kingdom of God. Listen, the measurement of spiritual maturity is your likeness to Christ. True maturity and spiritual maturity can only measure to the degree that you have learned to discipline yourself to love. You say, how is love a discipline? Let me tell you. We need God to enable us to love. Yes, we need His supernatural power. Yes, but you have to make a free will choice to love even when you don't feel like loving. You don't want to love and it takes discipline because it's not a feeling. It's a choice and a duty of a true disciple to love as he's called us to love. If you will discipline yourself to love, it will get easier and easier and easier. And if you especially discipline yourself to connect with the one who is love, then in connecting the one who is love, you can't help to be more loving. I mean, how many of you have had an experience with God? I mean, just a knockout, drag out. I mean, you, you're just mushed before Jesus, and you just can't help but walk around. You just, you just don't care anymore. You just, it just doesn't matter. That's what God wants us to do. There's so many things we hang on to that bother us, that take our joy and our peace, and we're all hot and bothered about it. And if we just get the love of God in us, it just... It just doesn't matter. You're content in Him. If you experience His love, I'm telling you, it's everything. But if you're trying to get your love and acceptance from this person, that person, that thing, this experience, this high, this emotion, we're going to get into that in future chapters. Where are you trying to seek your acceptance from? It will determine the choices you make. I'm, I don't want to teach other chapters, but we're going to get into all this. Why do we do what we do? Why do we act like we act? Why do we think what we think? What makes us who we are? There's a reason. 
Let's stand up and pray this prayer. I'm going to dismiss you. Everyone got the manuals? Let's, let's pray this prayer. Father, I come boldly into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask your forgiveness for how I claim that Jesus lives in me, but I have not always walked as Jesus did. So often I have followed my own desires, agenda, and will. At times, I've been selected in my obedience. I ask your forgiveness, Lord. Jesus, you have said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You expect from your disciples complete dedication and commitment. I submit my will to yours and will accept the cross along with the crown and judgment as well as mercy. I decree this day, Lord Jesus, with you as my focus, I will allow nothing to distract me from living the way you have called me to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.